Much of how you think and act and live is governed by how you think about yourself or where you find your identity, what makes you you. For example, if you think of yourself as a self-made man, someone who's pulled himself up by his bootstraps, who's worked hard his whole life and has achieved a lot and worked for every penny you've earned, you may be tempted to look down on those you think who've not worked as hard or who have not achieved as much. Or if you think of yourself as a paragon of virtue, you're the person in your circle who reminds everybody to toe the moral line, you may be tempted to despise those whose moral failings are impossible to hide, or at least more obvious than yours. But if you think of yourself as truly a sinner, someone who is guilty before God, yet has been saved by the wonderful mercy and grace of Christ, then you are more likely to be merciful toward others in all kinds of situations. Often, when Christians are portrayed in books or movies, it's not a positive picture, right? Oftentimes, we don't see a genuine, gracious, flawed, but humble Christian. Oftentimes, we see some version of a religious or moral hypocrite, Right? Somebody who looks down on others, who scoffs at others, who thinks everyone else is not living up to the standard, but at the same time, they themselves are rude and proud and arrogant and nobody wants to be around them. Right? That's often how Christians are portrayed. And unfortunately, those characters are based on real people. Right? Sometimes people think that they are representing Christ well, when in reality, their identity is not really rooted in Christ, but in their own morality. Right? And sometimes that can become true of whole churches. That whole churches can get the reputation of caring more about how people dress and how people act and what people say than about people coming to know Jesus. And when we look at Romans chapter 2, which will be uh, our text this morning is Romans 2, 17 to 24. When we look at these verses in Romans chapter 2, we will see that this is not a new problem. We will see that this is not a new issue, but something that Paul addressed when he uh, spoke to the Jews in Romans chapter 2. Because the Jews also, those Jews who did not believe in Christ, the Jews also had an identity problem. That they built their identity not on Christ, but on the law. And as a result, they ended up not being who they thought they were. Not being as important as they thought they were. Not being as righteous as they thought they were. So here's what Paul says in Romans 2, verses 17 to 24. Paul says, But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know His will, and approve what is excellent, because you are instructed from the law. And if you are sure 
that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Now, here's the first thing I want you to notice about these verses. In verse 17, Paul says that the Jews, again, Jews who have not believed in Christ that the Jews have built their identity on the law. Now, we've been in Romans chapter 2 for a while now, and so, uh, and we have been saying all along that Romans chapter 2 is aimed mainly at the Jews. So it might have escaped your notice, like it escaped mine until somebody pointed it out, that it's not until verse 17 that Paul actually addresses the Jews by name. Right? If you call yourself a Jew, if that's who you say you are, those are the people he's talking to here, those who call themselves Jews. If you call yourself a Jew, and what do they say about themselves? They rely on the law, they boast in God, right? they think they know His will and approve what is excellent because they have been instructed by the law. In other words, their whole identity is wrapped up in the law. I am who I am. Because God has given me and my people the law. And this is what I need. This is what I rely on. This is where I find my comfort. This is where I find my instruction. This is what sets me apart. This is what makes me different. This is what makes me uh, able to approve what is good and right and disapprove of what is wrong. I have the law. That's what makes me a Jew. That's what makes me Different. That's what sets me apart. That's how the Jews were thinking about the law. They had built their identity on the law. And not only did they think that they had what they needed in the law, they also thought that they had what everybody else needed in the law. Verse 19. Right? They also thought that they were a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children... Why do they think of themselves that way? Having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. So they said, not only do we have everything we need in the law, but all you guys who don't have the law, you need what we have. And so we're going to tell you, you're you're ignorant and foolish. We will give you wisdom. You are blind and walking in darkness. We will educate you and bring the light of the law to you. You're just children. You're immature. We are the mature ones because we have the law. We will tell you the things you need to know that you don't know. So this is how the Jews saw themselves. They were in an elevated position over all the rest of the world because God had given them the law. Now, the problem with that is the law is not a good source of identity. Now, the law is a good thing. Alright, let's be really clear about that. Paul's going to make that clear in Romans chapter 7. The law is holy and righteous and good. The law is good. The problem is not the law. Right? In fact, Moses 
told the people of Israel back in Deuteronomy 4 that the law that he was giving them was a good thing and that the Gentiles would recognize that it was good. Moses says to them, See, I have given you, or see, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who when they hear all these statutes will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? So the law was a good thing. And it was a privilege for the Jews to have the law. The problem was that they built their identity on the law. And when you do that, you will invariably end up a hypocrite. Because you will not be able to keep the law. Nobody is. Nobody is able to keep the law perfectly. So the Jews had built their identity on the law. This is what they thought made them special, unique, significant, important, elevated above everybody else. But it was a bad source of identity. And and here's here's how um, we can apply this to us. Because we're we're not Jews and we don't make a big fuss about the Old Testament law. How would this apply to us? Here's how it applies to us. Christians can be guilty of a similar fault when we assume that what the lost world needs most is Christian morality rather than the gospel of Christ. If we are more concerned about getting the lost people around us to live up to biblical moral standards, which are good, just like the law is good. If our main concern is to try to get non-Christians to live up to Christian moral standards, if that's our highest concern, more than introducing lost people to Jesus and telling them about forgiveness of sin and new life in Christ, if our emphasis is on Christian morality, if that's where we find our identity and what we do and don't wear, do and don't say, where we do and don't go, what we do and don't drink, if we forget that we too are sinners and that there are no moral heroes in the Bible or in the church, that Jesus is the only one who's perfectly lived up to God's moral standard, if we forget that, then we become the kind of hypocrites that we don't want to be, right? that, we, that we want to distance ourselves from. This is, what happened to, this is what happened to the Jews, especially, the, in particular, the Jews who had not believed in Christ. Right? They had the law, and Jesus had come, but they had not believed in Christ, and they were still elevating the law as the thing that set them apart, as, as the thing that was most important, as the thing that everybody else needed to hear. And because of that, they had put their identity in the wrong place, and were leading others astray. Here's how a a teacher from the early days of the church put it. This is spot on. He says, The teacher of the law is right to glory in these things because he is teaching the form of truth. The law is true, right? But if the teacher does not accept the expected one, the Messiah, whom the law has promised, he glories in vain in the law to which he is doing harm as long as he rejects the Christ who is promised in the law. 
In that case, he is no more learned than the fools, nor is he a teacher of children, nor is he a light to those who are in the darkness, but rather he is leading all of these into perdition. And what I'm saying is that's true of Christians who emphasize morality without the gospel and Jews who emphasize the law without the the Savior that the law promised. If we emphasize the moral standards and not the Savior, we will find ourselves to be hypocrites and the world will not want to listen to us. Not that the moral standards are bad. They're important in their proper place. Here's what Paul says next. All right, you've got your identity built on the law. You think you're really important and special because you have these righteous standards that God has given you. But let me ask you a question about those standards. Verse 21. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You're preaching to people, don't steal. Are you keeping that commandment? You're telling people not to commit adultery. How are you doing on that one? You, tell, you, you say you despise idolatry. Do you rob temples? Are you benefiting from idolatry? Are you profiting from idolatrous worship among the pagans? In other words, the question he's asking is, do you live up to the standard that you have built your identity on? If you think you're so elevated because you have the law, how are you doing at keeping it? And Paul can ask that, the reason Paul asked that question is because he knows that no one is going to be able to say, yes, I keep the law perfectly. Now he's not saying, or even suggesting, that most of the Jews in his day were adulterers or idolaters or thieves. Right? His point is simply that they are breaking the law that they are preaching. The law that they have built their identity on is the same law that convicts them as sinners. He's saying the same thing, in other words, I think, as what James is saying in James chapter 2, when he says, Whoever keeps the law, the whole law, but fails in one point, has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. James did not write that so that people hearing that letter could say, Whew, I haven't committed adultery or murder, so I'm good. But that's not his point. His point is, it doesn't matter which piece of the law you break. You only have to break one piece of the whole law to become a lawbreaker. To be accountable for the whole law, which as a whole, you have failed to keep. It doesn't matter which part of it you've broken. So Paul is saying to the Jews, look, you've built your, these unbelieving Jews, you've built your identity on the law. This is what you think sets you apart before God and men. This is what you think makes you higher than those around you. But in reality, that law that you're so proud of, you have not been able to keep. And because you have not been able to keep it, you've wound up a bunch of hypocrites. Again, here's what that means for us. When the main thrust of your teaching is law or morality or obedience, you will never live up to what you teach others. Never. 
As a Christian parent or grandparent, if the main emphasis of your teaching to your children or your grandchildren right, is you, don't, you need to measure up to this standard, and they need to have standards, and they need to be told to measure up to it. But I'm saying if the main thrust of your teaching is obedience to this law, obedience to this standard, guess what they're going to notice? You don't live up to that standard. You're telling me not to yell. I've seen you yell. You're telling me not to be ugly to my sibling. I've seen you be ugly. That, that's what they're going to notice, right? But if, if instead of the main thrust, again, I'm not saying don't teach those things. If instead of the main thrust of your teaching being ethics and morals and morality and this, this standard you have to live up to, if the main thrust of your teaching is about grace and mercy in Christ and forgiveness and you acknowledge to your kids, your grandkids, I sin, I need forgiveness, I need Jesus every day, I have to repent every day, I have to ask God to forgive me every day. And then in that context, you tell them, here's the standard you need to live up to. right? Then when they see that you also don't live up to the standard, they already know you don't live up to the standard. You've told them. You've apologized to them for not living up to the standard. You've admitted it already. You've said we both have to try. This is what we're both aiming at. But more important than that right, is this grace that God has extended to us in Christ. So I'm going to extend grace to you. And I'm asking you to extend grace to me. Because that's how God has treated us. Right? But if instead of that... Right? You, the, the main thing that you're trying to convey to your neighbors, for example, you know, you, you give them the cold shoulder and the evil eye because they're not living up to your moral standards. Right? They're not going to listen to you. They're not going to listen to you because they see, uh, they see through your hypocrisy better than you do. Right? Other people see through and, and notice our shortcomings more than we do. Right? And so if we build our identity on what we do rather than what God has done for us, we're setting ourselves up for failure. Right? We're building our identity in the wrong place. Right? So my point is not that no one should teach obedience or we'll all end up hypocrites. I mean, let's just acknowledge it. We're all, we all fall short. None of us live up to the law. But if the main thrust of our teaching is the gospel... Right, is the mercy and grace of Christ, then when we do fail, when we do mess up, and we will, then we don't undermine our teaching because as we've been teaching the gospel, we've already been admitting and acknowledging that we have fallen short because you can't, you can't have the gospel, right? you can't benefit from the gospel without confessing your sin. Right? You, can't, you can't admit that you treasure the grace and mercy of God in Christ without admitting you need the grace, of mer- grace and mercy in Christ. Right, so let me give you an example. Think about the Apostle Paul. Right, the Apostle Paul was in one sense a very moral man. Right? He said he kept the law, was blameless under the law, and all those kinds of things. But in another sense, Paul had some glaring faults in his life. Like the fact that he persecuted Christians and tried to throw them in jail. right? That he was uh, an opponent of Christ before his conversion. Now, if Paul built his identity on his morality, on what he himself had done, you should listen to me because I'm the most moral person you know. 
then people who had seen him persecuting Christians and all that kind of stuff would say, Paul, we know better than that. You were a mess before you got saved. We're not going to listen to you. But if Paul instead says, I'm a sinner saved by grace. I have blown it. I have messed up. I have sinned against God in some of the worst ways you can imagine. And yet God has been merciful to me. And God has saved me. And I want you to hear how God can be merciful to you and how God can save you. Then when people find out about his failures, they say, well, that's exactly what we expected. Because that's what he told us about himself. Right? Listen to how Paul says it in, in 1 Timothy 1. Right? He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. If he was mainly a preacher of morality, he could not say that and expect anybody to listen to him. Instead, he's not a preacher mainly of morality, though he does encourage us to do the moral thing, right? To do what's right and righteous. He's mainly a preacher of the gospel. And so... He loses no credibility by confessing his sin. In fact, he says in the next verse, I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. So Paul is saying, God showed mercy to me, chief of sinners though I am, So that when other people hear the gospel, they'll think, if he can save Paul, he can save me. If God can be patient with Paul, he can be patient with me. If God can be merciful toward Paul, he can be merciful toward me. So if you have been exposed mainly to a hypocritical version of Christianity that focuses more on morals than on grace, more on what you do and are supposed to do than on what Christ has done, I want you to hear this loud and clear. Morals do matter. But there is not a single perfectly moral person in the world or in the church. Jesus is the only perfectly moral person. All the rest of us are moral failures. And what matters more than what we have done is that what Jesus has done, that he died for the immoral, he died for sinners, he even died for hypocrites. And the chief question is not, have you kept the law? Because the answer to that question for all of us is no. The chief question is, have you met Jesus? Have you turned to Jesus? Have you trusted in Jesus? Have you confessed your sin to Jesus? Have you called upon Jesus as Lord? Because if you've done that, all that immorality in your past is wiped clean. And you're made a new creation. You're given a a new start. You become a new creature. And then it's at that point, at that point that we are now able to begin to try to live up to the moral standards that God gives us in Scripture. Apart from... The grace of Christ and the presence of the Holy Spirit in us, we have no chance at living up to those moral standards. And even if we could get close, we would all fall short, and it would all be for naught, apart from Christ. 
Without Jesus, you can be the most righteous person you know and still go to hell. Without Jesus, you can be the most righteous person in your family, in your workplace, wherever, and still be a condemned sinner. What matters most is do you know Jesus? That's why Paul is saying this to the Jews that don't yet believe in Christ. He's telling them, this is why you need to hear my gospel. This is why you need to know the Jesus that I'm preaching. This is why you need to hear about the righteousness that God gives to those who believe in Christ. Because the righteousness you think you have is a sham. The only real righteousness you can have is the righteousness that God gives in Christ. If you think you're righteous because of what you have done on your own, you are mistaken. And you just need to, you know, ask some of your friends and family members if you're righteous and they'll set you straight pretty quick, right? Because other people see it better than we do. That's why Paul is pointing this out to his fellow Jews. There was a day when Paul would not have seen it this way. But now that he's met Christ, now that he's seen his own life in the light of the coming of Christ, he knows not even he is righteous apart from Christ. Right? Here's what Paul says next in verse 23. You boast in you who boast in the law, you dishonor God by breaking the law. You are lawbreakers. You are sinners. You have Uh, dishonored the God that you're so proud of having received this law from because you have broken the law that he gave you. And Paul, for that weighty charge, brings in backup from Isaiah. He quotes Isaiah in verse 24. He says, For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Isaiah is saying, when the Jews were exiled because of their sin, taken into exile because of their rebellion against God, Either God was being blasphemed by the Gentiles because the Jews were in sin for their exile, or while they were in exile, the sins they were committing were causing the Gentiles to to dishonor God, to blaspheme Him. Um, Either way, right, their behavior, their actions, they were supposed to be the chosen people, right, they were supposed to be the representatives of God. The things that they were doing were causing the Gentiles to dishonor God. Because of how God's people were acting. And Paul brings that up here to say, not only was that true in Isaiah's day, but that's true right now. You Jews who have rejected Christ, who are so proud of having the law, who think you're so great because you have God's word, you don't keep it, you don't obey it, you haven't admitted your need for grace and mercy and forgiveness for the Savior that the law promised, and as a result... You're not actually honoring God, you're bringing dishonor on God. Now, do you think that ever happens to Christians? Do we ever think that we are the honorable ones, the ones who are honoring God and actually end up dishonoring God by what we do? Yeah, I mean, we have to admit, sometimes that's, that's us. Right? Sometimes we think we're doing the right thing, right? and then we look back later with a different angle a different lens and realize I thought I was being helpful but I was just being rude right I thought I was trying to help that person but I was actually just being a hypocrite right that's what we want to avoid right that's what we are 
um, are, we don't want to be like that, right? Our goal should be to have our identity firmly rooted, not in morality, but in the gospel of Christ, right? We need to be aware of our sins and our shortcomings, right? And, and working through Romans 1 and 2 is, is doing that, right? And sometimes it's painful, right? Sometimes this stuff, it hurts, right? To have to think about these things and, and, and see these things. But it's helpful for us to do so. Because being reminded of these things, even if this is not who we are, right? And by the way, I, I don't think this is who we are as a church. I don't think this is who most of the people in this room are, right? That's not why I'm preaching this sermon. The purpose of us hearing this text and having this applied to our life is to prevent us from becoming people like that, right? It's a reminder not to stray into that territory, right? To, to remember where my identity is. Because if I get into a season of my life where things are going pretty well and I feel like I'm doing what God wants me to do and I feel like, you know, things are okay, then I might be tempted to no longer see myself as a sinner saved by grace, but as a pretty upstanding, moral, upright guy that everybody ought to want to be like. And that's a dangerous place to be for all of us, right? So that's what Paul's words are meant to prevent us from doing. Right? So that more than we are aware of how God is hopefully helping us to obey Him and do the things that are right, we are more aware of the overwhelming grace of God, the glorious, full salvation that Christ accomplished on the cross, fulfilling the Father's plan. It's been applied to us now by the Holy Spirit. Right? Having that kind of identity, sinners saved by grace, chief of sinners to whom God has shown mercy and grace, like Paul said, when that is our identity, when that's who we know we are, that protects us from pride. It protects us from hypocrisy. It, it protects us from giving people the impression that what God cares about most is what we do. Right? It reminds us that what we ought to be reminding ourselves and what we ought to be telling others is what matters most is how have you responded to Jesus? Have you been honest about your sin? Have you confessed to the Lord the ways that you have fallen short? Have you found your hope, your identity, your everything in Christ himself, in what he has done for us, in our place, providing for us a perfect and full salvation? That's the gospel we need to preach to ourselves and to those around us every day. And if we do that, then even when we fail, as we will, as we do, right, then it won't be so surprising. Right? Because this is who we are. This is what we need. We need the mercy and grace of Christ because we are sinners. But once we come to know the mercy and grace of Christ, He begins to work in us. He begins to change us. He begins to enable us to live up to that standard in ways we were never able to before. Imperfectly still but really and truly live in a way that honors and pleases God, not because of who we are, but because of who we are now in Christ. Let's pray.